goal chance for Conor McGrath here and he'll surely give it in Conor what a goal! Mackey heading it towards the 21 meter line. Team oh, Mackey still going. Go on, your boy. Goal is up for Cats. Oh, what a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly, but will stick in your mind that the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. Did a small change before the game worked the street. Yes, hello, welcome to the first off the ball GA podcast of the new championship season with thanks to News Talks GAA sponsors Borgosh Energy, proud sponsor of the GA Hurling All Ireland Senior Championship. Keep up to date and follow hashtag hurling to the core for more. Dave McIntyre and Shane Stapleton here today will be with you every week across the summer. You can uh, contact us, the two of us on Twitter, at Dave McIntyre NT. Shane, hello there. How are you doing, How Dave? How do they get you? At How do they abuse you? Abuse me on at Shane Sane, please. And we will cobble together some email address for the GA podcast as well. It will fire your way if you're not Twitter inclined. On today's pod, we're going to preview the upcoming Connacht and Ulster Senior Football Championships. Brendan Devaney will be along with us in a few minutes' time. Shane's going to have a look at the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship. And we'll also bring you episode one of the top 25 most controversial moments in GA history. Shane's got a doozy in the can for today. We're going to build all the way up to number one, I guess. We don't know what it is yet. To be no I don't harm. know what you've picked so far for today as yet. She's a beaut anyway. Like Throughout the history of GA, there is all sorts of nonsense going on. You see the way we argue over nothing. I mean, especially when there's a bit of power involved. People go nuts, and uh, you're about to see that today. I, I know where I would like it to end in September. and the, I guess if we have a podcast the week after the All-Ireland Football Final, assuming there's no replay... I'd like to see Joe Sheridan in there, but maybe our listeners can point us in the right direction. And if they do think that there's a possibility of adding the incidents they believe should be in the top 25 and they're not sure if they're going to make the cut, well, push us in the right direction. Well, this as of yet undetermined email address. Don't Maybe don't send it into that just yet, but uh, go to <laughs> straight for Twitter. Where you're sending your abuse, send well, it there. Right now you can send it to sport at newstalk.com. Yeah. So that will, uh, that will definitely find myself and Shane. Um, we're going to start with some of the stories of the GA week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, a big one that I saw was John Milan mentioned the idea of managers getting paid at this stage. You know, Derek McGrath talked about 60 hours a week. Officially. Managers officially being paid. Yeah, officially being paid. I mean, obviously they're getting paid. I mean, plenty of them are getting nice backhanders. There's no doubt about that. Some of the most generous mileage you'll see. But um, I don't know if I'd agree with it because I think GA managers have too much power as it is. So if you bring them inside the tent officially and, and they're being paid above board... All of a sudden, I think they've got even more power. And we already see how so many county managers say, no, no club fixtures this month. And if they're in there in an official capacity, I think that that kind of heightens their power and makes it more difficult for everybody else. And it's too autocratic as it is. Well, is it not up to the county boards in question to put certain restrictions in place on these managers so that they can come up with a list of things that the county board need to be involved in when it comes to some of the decision making that nothing can really be put in place unless it's run by the county board maybe no manager would ever sign up to that I mean I think I, for me I kind of have a point I see John Milan having a point here it is it's more than a full time job mm. we see what Derek McGrath has done in the last couple of months and he's not going to be back working full time until after the championship um, we've seen a lot of players who've decided to become almost professional in the way they approach things but managers unlike players never switch off I mean they're thinking about it 
before and after training they have to deal with all the, the man management issues as well as laying out certain training sessions making sure that you get your routine done that you get the the players to peak at the right time of the year knowing when to upscale training knowing when to drop it mm. off they I'd say they bring it home with them all the time yeah. whereas the player leaves the training pitch and he's done yeah no that's true and um, I had a one on one with uh, Stephen Ratchford the other day and he was telling me how he'd uh, driven up from somewhere wherever he had started his day in Mayo all the way up to Dublin and his battery had died by the time he was in Athlone he was on the phone constantly now some of that was work fair enough yeah. so I get what you're saying and I understand too. You have S and C coaches getting paid, uh, physical coaches getting getting paid, whatever it is. So there's a lot of money swishing around there already. So why shouldn't a manager get it because of the effort they put in? Um, the thing is, where do you where do you draw the line then with people getting paid? I think it's it's heading down that slippery yeah. road. And can we sustain? You probably are on the slippery slope. Yeah. To players being paid. Yeah. Um, and of course, some man- some counties just would be unable to afford to pay a manager to do a job, so it lessens the chance of then getting a very good manager to come in. Some of the weaker counties mm-hmm. struggle to get a, a sponsor of any significance on their jerseys, so they're not really going to be able to throw some money into the uh, officially into the bank account of, of a manager. I mean, I'd say some more. A lot of managers would rather leave it the way it is, in that. As you say, some very generous mileage. Mm, I've no doubt some managers are actually being paid. Now, whether that's just a club level or whether it happens at inter-county level as well. I don't know how we haven't found out yet. Like, I can't understand how there has not been a whistleblower within the GA Mm. that has told the story as a member of a certain county board the demands that a manager made on them and the manner in which payments are made to that manager. I'm surprised it has because it's been going on for years now. It's a Anecdotally, you hear uh, like huge figures being mentioned for intercounty managers being paid. Whether it's you know, and you can't say it on air because, of course, defamation is a yeah. is a harsh reality. But like, if you're a player and you're putting in crazy effort because you know every evening you're either in the gym, you're working on your diet. It is a lifestyle choice, you know. And I've heard that from so many county players. And you think, okay, now there's a county manager coming down and he's roaring at me to do this, that, and the other. He's never given me any game time. It's driving me nuts. And yet he's getting paid and I'm not. And he's there at the start of the show and I'm sidelined. I think it would cause a lot of rancor, actually. Yeah, a lot of resentment. Yeah, a lot of resentment. And I think that kind of brings us on to another topic, which is players leaving for the summer. And uh, not that I'm suggesting this is anything to do with this particular player, but um, I see Stephen McBrearty apparently is heading off to America for the summer, younger brother of Paddy, uh, a good talent involved with the under-21s. Now... The thing is, like a lot of people go, why on earth would you train for six months and then head off to America for the summer? You know, you're just coming into championship. This is why you trained all along. And the thing is, I can completely understand. If if you get to a stage and you realise, geez, I haven't been playing challenge matches lately. I'm stuck on the back end of the B team in training. I'm not going to be played. So why wouldn't I head off to the summer? Like It is unbelievable crack yeah. to go to America for the summer. You I did, did it. it. Yeah, I did it in 2010 in New York. And it was incredible, and I'm still friends with a lot of those same guys. It's a fantastic experience. You know, you'd, you're not um, monitored all the time as you would be at home. Oh, he was out drinking. I mean, everyone is out there having to crack. And I mean, it's not just about drinking, even though it heavily is. <laughs> but you know, it's just a great experience, and it's better than sitting on a bench, just becoming more and more frustrated all year. Now there's the downside for the likes of the tip footballers who went off last year. Fordham missed an amazing run. But, I mean, do you want to sit on the bench? Well, the little bit of a difference in that was there was a couple of those temporary players that would have played that is true. a lot of championship football mm. last summer. They would have been able to play play a role in them getting to an All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah. Whereas Steve McBrearty, I think, is, in his situation, it's a case of him not really seeing any game time for him 
over the next few months. Yeah, and obviously we don't we don't want to be putting forward his opinion for him, but you could see that happening with an awful lot of panelists that they're like, I'm a fringe member here, and and of course this isn't strictly true for everybody. So like those tip players, I mean you're perfectly right, but I can completely see why players would head off for a summer. I mean. It's just a fantastic time to be had. So is it a case, you started this by asking the question, why would you leave when you've got all the hard training done? They have given themselves the league, the pre-season, and maybe the little bit of portion between the league and now mm. to break onto the match day squad, if you like, if we want to call it that. Yeah. Say the tw- top 26, if they in a position where they'll get a jersey for the opening round of the championship. Whereas they are he is or he could be or certain some of these players will now feel that that's just not going to happen mm. and if Tony Gold taking them as the example because we brought them up you would expect them to get to the All-Ireland Series you know to be playing in the bank holiday weekend in August how many training sessions would a fringe member of the Tony Gold squad have to participate in playing absolutely zero games and just sitting on the bench or maybe even in the stand on match day without even being tugged out yeah well that's it so what's the point and I bet you a lot of players would have headed off two months ago if that's when the American season started because, do you know, I mean, they're prob- a lot of them are just whiling away the time until they can head off for the summer. And I know this is probably harsh enough, like, but there are probably a lot of the weaker counties out there and their players are kind of thinking, we're going to get no- knocked out soon and they're almost waiting for the offers to roll in. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of them are getting a few grand, they're getting their flights paid for, getting a cushy job sorted for them. I mean, I know people who this has happened to. Obviously, again, I don't want to name their names, but... I mean, that is the reality of it, and it's an attractive one. It is, yeah. It certainly beats uh, slugging it away and essentially holding a tackle bag for the rest of the summer. Well, that's it, yeah. What else have we got? Well, I would say the GA Round Robin Provincial proposal that's uh, come out this week. And you as a hurling man would as have been on the edge of your seat as this was released. Yeah, I was very disappointed with it. I mean, everybody likes the idea of more top-class games. I think they always they always use that term. And uh, that's fine and all, but like the provincial championships have already been pretty boring, and I mean that's across the board in both codes. So I mean, I, I mean, I won't go into the Super Eight just yet. I'm not a massive fan of that idea. But like, let's let's imagine the the Munster Championship next year. We've seen so much of Tip versus Cork in the last number of years. We've seen so much of Tip versus Waterford, and let's say next year Tip win their first three of their round robin games. The last game is a dead rubber to them, and they could be playing Clare. And let's say in another game you've got Limerick, Claire, uh, Limerick, uh, Cork, whatever. They need Tip to win that game, but Tip are dis- disinterested. So you've got these skewed results then all of, a, all of a sudden, or the possibility of it, which you will also have in the Super 8, because let's say Dublin win their first two games, someone's depending on a result for them, they put out a B team and they lose. You know, maybe Dublin's B team don't lose. But, you know, that's the point. Does it solve the excitement issues? No. I would rather see groups where you've got Tip, Kilkenny, Galway, Clare, all of them thrown into the mix. I mean, one of the biggest failings of the Hurling Championship in the last number of years is we haven't seen Clare versus Kilkenny in Croke Park. You know, we haven't seen Tony Kelly up against uh, Kilkenny, see how, how that goes. And they've missed an opportunity by throwing all the same teams back against each other again. So it's elitist, it doesn't help the club, and it just doesn't add too much more excitement. It is going to be more of the same... Certainly the Munster Hurling Championship was the last bastion of excitement, tradition. It was the one of the sole reasons mm. as the given for not amending the Hurling Championship as it, as it stood. But the last two or three years, particularly with Tip's dominance, I can't recall one of those really iconic Munster Hurling Championship afternoons that we will talk about in 10 or 15 years' time. They don't seem to happen anymore. The crowds have dropped. I mean, mm. Thurlis is very seldom full. The Gaelic yeah. grounds is never full unless Limerick are playing in a Munster final. 
and maybe we are just going to get more of the same. Maybe we'll just get more of the same. And it, as you say, it won't enhance the probability or the possibility of Galway and Kilkenny and hopefully Wexford as a coming force meeting these monsters hurling championship mm. teams outside of the qualifiers in the Ireland series. Look, I think it's worth trying, but whether or not it should be made a permanent thing or not. And that's how I would stand on the Super 8s as well, because mm. I do think it's worth trying. We definitely need more games involving the bigger teams. Look, ultimately, until the league becomes the championship, we're never going to be where we want to be. Well, can I make a suggestion? Rather than what they're proposing now, how about play the provincial... Because like, there's so many traditionalists who want to keep the province. Okay, we'll play it off in one month. Then we'll go to two groups of six teams in the Hurling Championship. Open sort of draw. Anybody could meet anybody from both provinces. And then the top two will say go through to All-Ireland semi-finals. See, it's not just the provincial championships that these people are desperate to hold on to. It's the link to the All-Ireland series as well. Yeah, well, they're it's refusing both ma- to. They won't give up one or the other. They need them both to be there together as a package because then it takes the luster away from the Munster Hurling mm. Championship completely. If you win the Munster Hurling Championship and you get nothing for it, as opposed to now when you get a place in the All-Ireland semi-final. Sure, why should you get something for it? So you've got the Munster title. What more do you want? I mean, back in 2000... Well, I guarantee you it would feel like it was being diluted when you yeah. didn't actually... Get, oh, you got, you got your medal, but you didn't make your way into the All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah, but back in 2007, that was the case. Up until 2007, for a number of years, you, everyone went into went to the back door as such, or quarter-finals or whatever. That's the way it was. Like, people talk about tradition, but nobody kind of goes back to the days when the very first All-Ireland football series was an open draw. So if you want tradition, let's go back to the very first one, <laughs> which is an open draw. Please. Right, before we move on, you've got one other first. Yeah, I think it's important to look back a week ago on the... The Aidan O'Shea interview that he did, uh, he's, you know, he sat down with 10 or 12 journalists and he was asked about the interview that um, Holmes and Kennelly did la- at the tail end of last year with Martin Breheny. And uh, he said it was factually incorrect. No, he didn't really particularly want to talk and he felt it was factually uh, incorrect and he just kind of felt he didn't really get a right of reply. Now, Martin Breheny wasn't, obviously wasn't um, satisfied with this at all. And on the front page of the Indo, on the back page of the Indo and on the inside back of the Indo was all stuff like O'Shea misses the mark trying to shoot the messenger and what have you. And I'm just worried that we're going down a little bit of a dangerous path here. Players are very reluctant to speak to the media as is. And now you've got a newspaper directly going after a player. Now I understand Martin is probably a little bit put out because he feels that the paper did look to get a response and what have you. I'm just wondering, is that the right step though? What would, what would you think? I think the amount of copy that was given to it was overkill that this just needed to be something maybe I know Martin has his weekly column the Bretney's Beat where he kind of runs through a major story and then has two mm. or three little add-ons at the end I think that might have been the better place for it I can understand why he feels that he certainly needed to put it out there that that there was every opportunity for Aidan O'Shea and anybody else who was named in that article and that interview by Canadian Holmes to put their side of the story across because Mayo have not taken any such opportunity to do so. Every media organisation in the country wanted to get the response of the Mayo players and the squad as a whole, but particularly the guys who were specifically named in that interview mm-hmm. with Canelian Holmes. It's also a huge story. That interview at the back end of last year was, there's, I can't recall one like it in in the certainly the history of GA media yeah. coverage. It really was sensational. And I mean, Brian, you did extremely well to get that. The... The issue of players being reluctant to speak to the media, I'd have to disagree with you on that because it's very seldom, unless it's organised by the county board ahead of a, of a specific game, that players speak to the media unless they're getting... That's not always their choice, though, because I've had a few interviews where the player says, yeah, no problem, and then they're told no after. And these 
you know, I mean, sometimes it would be people you know personally, so they absolutely know you're not going to hang them out to dry. So there, there is a case of, and this goes back to the manager having well, too much power. I'm talking about if, if you're selected by your manager to be one of the three players that speaks to the media, yeah. saying Castlebar two weeks before they play a Connacht semi-final. A player mightn't be overly encouraged or enthused with that because mm-hmm. it's really just taking time out of their schedule and their lives after training to go and speak to people they probably don't want to spend that much time with. But the vast majority of media appearances these days by these players sees them ha- handsomely rewarded. That's it's true. not like they're doing all of this for the good of their health. So we're speaking to people. I was speaking to a couple of herders yesterday and they weren't there for, for free. They were there because they're being paid. Mm. And I'm sure they enjoy the corporates that they're working with and there's a decent relationship there. And these players are good talkers and they're good fellas. But I don't blame them for taking the money. But at the same time, to say that they're reluctant to speak to the media, they're not really if their pockets are being lined by it. Mm. Now, these players put so much into training and they pretty much put their lives on hold and certainly their social lives on hold in many ways, their careers and their personal lives. I've absolutely no issue with a player getting a few hundred quid to come up to help launch some sort of a sponsorship or a new product and they get uh, a little bit of reward for it. Absolutely no issue with that at all. I know we're getting sidetracked a little bit when I, when I bring this up, but is it interesting the amount of players that have been pulled from commercial opportunities in recent times? And, uh, you know, we we don't want to go into too many names, but Paul Murphy was going to an... Uh, an Avonmore so, event. Yeah, an Avonmore of, of all companies, Paul, yeah. Paul Murphy was... Yeah, uh, you'd the think irony of ironies, as we all know, that they do sponsor the Kilkenny Hurlers. He was pulled the night before that event, and I know that event was penciled in for many days. Yeah, and players get paid for these events, and it's happened time and again. I know there was once a, a charity event that a, a footballer was pulled from the, the day before, or the morning of, in fact. So, I mean, where... You know, thing well, is, that's, though, that's a different... That's a different strand of the debate entirely. Yeah. That's an issue for players and management. But there's antipathy on both sides. I mean, even, like I mentioned, maybe this is a, a dangerous route to go down for a, a paper going after a player. Um, but also, like you think of Jim McGuinness in 2012, booting journalist Declan Bogue out of mm. the post-match press conference. Now, I was there uh, while it happened. I was in the press conference room and I was typing away on my computer and I looked up and I saw, I saw McGuinness fiddling away and then I saw him go out of the room and then I, you know, I went back to my computer. I wasn't fully sure what happened. And yeah. then all of a sudden, he comes back in, Malachy Clerkin says, what's this about? Irish Times, Malachy Clerkin, what's this about? And he just goes off on a big rant. And, you know, I, I think there's a serious antipathy there and it's not going to be uh, it's not gonna be sorted out anytime soon. I don't soon. think it's going to get any better. It'll always no. be there. Um, the, all the players will never love all the media and vice versa. OK, well, that's uh, the stories of the week. You can uh, get in touch with us, as you said. You can get both myself and Shane Stapleton on Twitter. If you have any issues with the pod, if you want to hurl any abuse our way, or if you have any suggestions on some stories that you want to see covered on the pod, just do get in touch with us. And for now, you can email sport at newstock.com. When we have an updated email address, we will throw it out to you. Um, next, we're going to focus on the Leinster and... Uh, Ulster, sorry, the Ulster and Connacht Senior Football Championships with Brenda Deveni. Um Next week we're going to do Leinster and Munster, but it'll be Connacht and Ulster we're chatting to Brenda with after the break. OK, time to preview the Connacht and Ulster Senior Football Championships. What better man to get involved than uh, Brenda Deveni, former Donegal footballer. Hello, sir. How's you going today? Yeah, we're good. We're good. We're just trying to find our feet here in the uh, the first of the of the Ball J podcast of the summer. And no doubt we'll hear plenty of you over the uh, coming weeks and months. We're going to start with Colic Brendan. Um, obviously, we'll get into Donegal and Ulster and how you think that's going to shape up in the weeks and months ahead. But the Connacht Championship was probably as competitive as it's been for a long time last season in that we didn't have a Mayo emerging as the champions and the final ended up going to a replay. 
Do you think that was maybe a one-off? May I have learned their lesson, or why we see something similar this time around? Yeah, I, I, Mayo are just so unpredictable at the moment. But I'm, 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 it's hard to say them. You know, if you look at the performances in the league, you, you didn't know what you were going to get from them. And you know, I think the day Cavan went down and, and beat them, kind of, I was looking, thinking, God, is this team gone? And then they, they almost qualified for a league final. I mean, the performance against Donegal, particularly in the second half, summed up everything about Mayo. That power and pace, and I mean, the support, the fanatical behind them, and. I, see, I just you could never know with Mayo. Mayo could, as you say, lose in Connacht and and still be in an All Ireland final. I just think they're very unpredictable. But I don't think that's good for them. I think what they need to be is a more solid force that that are tactically well set up. And until they get that right, I don't think they're going to get across the line and win All Ireland. Shane, in this month, a couple of weeks ago, Shane or Kieran Whelan was talking about the psychological baggage that he thinks this Mayo team are carrying. Is that? true when you speak of this Mayo team because every year they suffer these horrendous defeats agonising defeats and yet they come back the following year and they find themselves in All-Ireland semi-final or an All-Ireland final it's not like this so-called psychological baggage that they're carrying is preventing them from getting very close to winning the All-Ireland every season yeah like every season that they've kind of had a close call you could probably explain it away with something like let's say 2014 they went down to Limerick and against Kerry and lost and let's Aidan O'Shea and Killian O'Connor both got concussions the referee had an absolute mare and didn't, did them no favours at all. So you could say that the, in, in some ways they were robbed of that. Then you look at uh, last year, a free didn't go over and, you know, I mean, that is... Two un- own goals. Yeah, two own goals and you'd say uh, Vaughan got... You know, you need those runners up the middle to beat Dublin. Like really strong runners carry the ball. Lee Keegan gets a black card. Um, Donny Vaughan gets a concussion. So again, that really robbed them of a lot of the thrust they have in the team. And yet still, they were a miss-free away from the draw. And you can't say that the full team's psychology is suffering if one person misses a free. Mm. And under that pressure, gee, that was an incredibly hard one. Like, he'd scored a seriously pressured um, equaliser in the first game. So it's very hard to criticise him for missing a free in the replay. I mean, you can't, you can't write off the whole county just because of that. And that's us talking about Mayo in All-Ireland winning terms, Brendan. I guess when we're just focusing on the Connacht Championship... It's really just Galway they're up against, isn't it? I mean, they win, beat Galway in that old Connacht semi-final and, and you feel that championship is good as done given what we've seen from us coming this year. So we're writing off Sligo, are we? Well, probably, given that, you know, they were made to work pretty hard to beat New York and it's a Sligo team that's had a mixed league. I would be astonished if Sligo were to go yeah, to... If it was no, in Markovic Park, Brendan, I agree. if it was in Markovic Park, you. I would actually give them a... Maybe not yeah. a decent chance, but, you know, an outsider's chance. Then again, Mayo's record's pretty poor, and I know what you're, you're hoping on hope, but I guess, you know, um, and then Sligo, lads, listen, don't give, don't give it up yet. Tell you. <laughs> well, I think the key, for me, the key for me listening to the, the game in New York was that when they really needed it, they had to go back to those old heads. Adrian yeah. Maron, Charlie Harrison, yeah. Martin Brent. Mark Brehany, um, David Kelly, uh, Brendan Egan, the same five guys we've been watching play well for Sligo against the bigger fish in the pond for the last 10, 12, 15 years in the case of Brehany. If you look, I suppose if you look, maybe they look at a team like Cavan, that they mightn't think it's that far ahead of them and see how they went on the Castle Bar. And I know Mayo were poor in the day, but as I say, that's the same. with Mayo, the performance level is up and down so much I think lately that unless they're doing that real powerful uh, physical type play high high tempo squeezing up if they're not on that there and they allow the other team to dictate and pretty much 
like Donegal in that um, the last game down in Castle Bar, Donegal dictated the first half playing their style. But Bomeo really went at them full court press and, and asked questions. Donegal couldn't handle the physicality, and that's what I think Mayo tried to do to most teams. But then when they come up against a team which can kind of physically mix it with them, the tactics then and their ability to defend then is, is where they're caught out. But, you know, hopefully, um, I mean, we don't want to go Sligo going all to defensive, but they're going to have to play some kind of system there to kind of uh, take out a few of Mayo's big guns. Brendan, do you reckon, um, and it mightn't be a big issue against Sligo, but do you think Mayo have developed enough for the pa- of a panel? Because like, even from their bench, in just two of the seven league games, did anyone come on and score? Like Fergal Boland yeah. looks like a good option, maybe Conor Loftus, but it's hard to see that their panel has moved on a whole lot. Aye, and listen, that's, that is the key to it. Like, we're just on the success, breeding success, and I know what Mayo depends on you look on titles and brilliant runs to All-Ireland, but Certainly that talent, you know, if you look, I suppose, a burst up here of Donegal, exciting, you know, players coming in and people that can score, you know, you saying that, that spread of scoring is the key to any successful team now because everybody has to chip in because nobody is getting space to kick over five or six points from play anymore. So, exactly right. And not so much even that it needs to be forwards, but it needs to be literally everybody out from the full back line has to be able to kick a point and, I think that's what you're what you're seeing the best teams doing. But they haven't they haven't really found the guy that they need. I was thinking that it might be Evan Regan that he could be the man that will take up the mantle, take some of the pressure off the scoring burden of Killian O'Connor. But they still need Andy Moore to start on the edge of the square and to win more than his fair share of ball. I, it just seems to me, Shane, that the same problem that has haunted them for so many years is that they just don't have enough top class elite forwards in the guise of a Kerry or a Dublin or a Tyrone, all these teams that have won the All-Ireland in the last 15 years, where they had at least two forwards that would be in the top 10 in the, of their generation. Hmm. I wonder about how they used their forwards at times. Um, I remember watching the Dublin-Mayo League game this year, and Killian O'Connor was on his own goal line trying to stop a goal from Dublin at one stage. And, uh, you know, they, they always say Mayo don't have marquee forwards. I think he is. Maybe he isn't lightning quick or whatever, but he's a great There's scorer. The problem, it's the problem that he's the only one. Yeah, I mean, Andy Moran, I would say, is as well. Dermot O'Connor is a fantastic player. Uh, Aidan O'Shea, I'm, I'm still not sure he's been used the right way. I don't, and I mean, I said this to him the other day uh, in a one-on-one that I think it sometimes it makes Mayo too predictable. And he explained that, well, not everybody gets fully what we're trying to do when I'm playing like that. And he's like, maybe I could be used better elsewhere, maybe not. But I think it just kind of puts that anchor in front of goals that other teams know we can protect in front of there, and that's a nice bit of the game plan. So I think they might need to move on with that to something else and you know build build the forward line, unfortunately, again, around Andy Moore. And like, how many more years is he going to have to do it? Brendan, for the first time since 2011, May are going into the Connacht Championship, not as the defending champions. So they have to get past Galway. He'll be waiting for them if they manage to beat Sligo in that Connacht quarterfinal. Has Galway's... Connacht Championship win lost a lot of its luster in the intervening 12 months given what happened to them in the All-Ireland quarter-final against Tipperary and the manner in which Mayo went all the way on then and got to an All-Ireland final and and in some ways could have beaten and should have beaten Dublin Yeah well I suppose um, you're thinking Mayo was in control of that match and then just one of those moments just turns everything and the the momentum you know Galway hitting them with that goal and just going on a run then and you know, as I said before, everyone's right enough. Mayo after that game, and there they are back, as you're saying, you know, with another hard luck story and, and a replay in All Ireland. So, 
I don't know, Galway, you know, Tipperary were flying last year. I mean, playing some brilliant football. And once they got on top of Galway, you know, they really did take them apart then. But, you know, obviously they got promoted to Division 1. You know, they'll say Connacht title, Division 1, that's, that's massive progress uh, for any team that hasn't won a provincial for a while or hasn't been in Division 1 in, in a few years. So they'll be, they'll be in the up and up. We keep talking about these, these four under-21 teams in, in the last 12 years. And I know from Donegal this year, you know, that under-21s come and bursting through. They're ready now, so I'm just wondering how there's been so little integration or how these guys haven't really stepped up. But... You know, maybe there is that talent in the background now to push them on, and you know it's a, it's a massive game for Galway to test themselves against Mayo. Mayo will be out for revenge, and I think that's that's going to be a tough game for me. I think Mayo will want to get back and, and win this championship. Not too much for Galway. The the big thing I noticed about Galway when I went to see them in the Division Two League final against Kildare is that they had a huge spread of quality forwards. Like it isn't many teams that have the likes of Shane Walsh, Gary Sice, Sean Armstrong, who is who looks excellent now that he's back and real focal point up front. Michael Lundy, Michael Daly, and the promise of maybe having Michael Meehan for a few um, for a few minutes at the end of games. So they've got excellent forwards. It's just, are they going to be mired too much in defensive tactics? Because the first half of that Kilgare game was absolute vomit. Like it was horrendous to watch. The second half was actually quite good, but I think mentally you were so drained from the first half it was hard to even enjoy it. But I do think that they've got the forwards to trouble an awful lot of teams, especially with Sean Armstrong, because he's kind of standing in in the square and running over and back um, across the square, and he's finding an awful lot of space, probably because they have so many players so far down the field. But um, like Mayo being four ar- forewarned is forearmed, so I reckon they should turn him over this year, assuming they get past Sligo, of course. Assuming, yeah. The other half of that kind of championship draw, Brendan, well, it's Roscommon basically are 70 minutes away from a Connacht final. Um, they're in a similar mm. position to where they were last season, but they have to co- beat either London or Leitrim. It is a farcical situation, but we're not going to get into the old championship structures discussion. That's probably already been had, and I really don't fancy another go at it. So, look, you would expect Roscommon to be waiting in the final for either Galway or Mayo, correct? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Leitrim Division 4... You know, London. And, uh, it's just like there is no way we could match up London and New York as a, as a preliminary game. I think that would maybe suit those two teams better. Uh, they see which one can advance on the Connacht. But, um, yeah, listen, you can't, you can't see anything but Ross Common. I mean, obviously, it's 1-1 from their whole league campaign. A lot of players, a lot of a different squad from the year before, a lot of top players. And, you know, you just, you just feel that last year they seemed to be on the way up and coming to what would be a force again. I mean, fanatical county for football. You know, a bit like Kavanagh, they're just mad for success. You know, when you travel around there, it's just, when I travel around there, when I work, it's just ball, 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 as everybody talks. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be tough for them in the final. Who really get, I, I, I still would fancy Mayo for Connacht for me. I think they'll get over a goal win to take Roscommon in the final. OK, Mayo to win the Connacht Championship. I think an awful lot of people will uh, find it very difficult to argue with that. What about Ulster? Let's head north. The preliminary round is almost upon us in the Sunday week. They'll be watching Monaghan take on Fermanagh. Nobody really wants to be drawn in that round, but uh, it's going to happen to you at some stage. First off, who are your favourites for the Championship? If you were to pick a winner, for, I guess we'll go to the very end of the discussion first. Who would it be for you? Tony Gaul. And that is for the reasons which are what? Aside from the fact that you're a Donegal man. <laughs> no, forgetting about that at all. No, I just would have seen, hey, and the people in Donegal and get a bit uh, get a bit anxious when you tap your own team, you know. <laughs> I'm just telling the truth from what I've seen. You know, you talk about uh, weapons and forwards and that, and 
everybody's playing a version of, of their own defensive system and that's one way everybody's got so many players back quite often it can be 13, 12, 13 and say they're 45 you know and, and give me 12 or 13 county players and say they're 45 and I'll, I'll make it hard to break down I don't care who they are but it's when you burst up the pitch then have you got pace have you got scores have you got a lot of ball handling have you got a lot of coaching done that you can carry the ball that tackles and, and have gifted players who can see passes and open up plays and, and fitness and to me I think Donegal have the best mix of that um, I suppose Mullen Donegal and Austin all did fairly well in the league Throne started well and then faded off but they were all you know within a scoring difference of kind of making a, a league final with Dublin so those three teams, I think, in Ulster are well pushed ahead from everybody else. And I think from last year, you thought the balance of power was, was going through own way when they, they managed to get across the line against Donegal in Ulster final. But uh, if anything, since then, I don't know what's happened to own. The spark seems to have gone out of them. You know, the, the night they met in Balbafay, you know, Donegal really took them apart. You know, it was, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing from Throne. And since, since then, you know, they've stuttered and stammered in the league. So. I think uh, Monaghan's probably the closest team to Donegal. You know, they they, they, they often marry Donegal and try to outdo Donegal after Donegal's bit of um, also final ones of eleven and twelve. You know, Monaghan very much took them on at their own game. So I think uh, the day down in Bally Shannon, uh, Monaghan came, but you could see that there was a fear in the pace that Donegal had. You know, the pace Donegal runners coming all over the pitch. You know, young, fit, full of energy. And uh, Monaghan very much sat in their shell. I think I should have been six or seven points up. And McManus hit them with a, with a late soccer point penalty in the last minute to steal a draw. So I think from that day, Monaghan would certainly enter uh, on from their league meetings would have a lot of fear of this Donegal team. And that's why I would tap them as favourites for the title. Yeah, the thing with the Monaghan is Jack McCarran looks like he's going to be exceptional this season. And it's great to have somebody to play up front with Conor McManus. The downside then is having Darren Hughes out. So, I mean, do they kind of half-cancel each other out, do you reckon? I, I, no, I would put McCarron on, 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 on another level. Where Hughes plays, you know, McCarron, on his day, I think I think he's as good as forward as is in the country. I couldn't, you know, even that day, predicting the first half in Bally Shannon, he's an awesome talent. I think I've seen him then just highlights against Dublin. That guy has a serious, serious talent. The only thing I think about it is, you know, playing where he does, Haman McManus, they can be bottled out of games. If there's so many bodies around there, it doesn't matter how good you are. So it just depends on the type of game. If a game's anyway open, then it's more open than the league, and I think that's where McCarran benefited. But that guy has a serious, serious talent. And, you know, as you say, having him and McManus, if it was old-style football, and you'd say two inside against two cornerbacks, I mean, the two guys would roast them. I mean, anything would happen with Monaghan there. But the fact there is so much cover now, you just wonder. But certainly McCarran, you know, in scoring threats, is, is right up there. I mean, obviously, this is the first year and I don't know how long McManus hasn't been top scorer in the league. So, I mean, they, they pop someone like McManus who I think is an unbelievable talent that just shows you what's there. But, as I say, from that's two players, you know, and that's if too much is expected from them. Particularly if they're inside the two of them, they can be bottled up. It's As we're saying, that spread of scores uh, coming from around the pitch is what, what Monaghan needs. Yeah, and would Monaghan happen to go through four rounds as well to win an Ulster title when you consider that like, Donegal are going to beat Antrim? I don't think anyone would debate that. You'd imagine Tyrone will, will put away there easily enough. So then Tyrone versus Donegal, and then you're into a final. And Monaghan, I mean, they have a thin enough squad, one of the least populous uh, counties 
in Ireland. So they've added, or like the likes of Gavin Dugan has stood out during the league, they've Kieran Hughes, you know, so th- there are some very good players They are there. all familiar faces, really yeah. apart from McCarran, who is around a couple of years, but obviously he's coming back from that knee injury. The, I can hear the Cavan fans roaring at us already, Brendan, saying you've already, you've already tipped the winner of Tyrone and Donegal to give Monaghan a rattle in the Ulster final. Cavan are waiting for Monaghan to get beyond Fermanagh in the preliminary round. I mean, that's maybe being a disre- bit disrespectful to Pete McGrath and his team, but if the former goes as you would expect at Monaghan aside, who are going so well in Division 1 at the moment, it will be a Monaghan-Cavan quarter-final. It's, um, it's something that Cavan fans are looking for, a side that seems strong enough to be able to wait, make the way all the way through to a provincial final and finally take down one of these big guns, but you're not seeing yeah. it, are you? Uh, well, no, it's funny she answered about um, Tyrone should do Derry, and on paper they should, but <laughs> that's the thing about Ulster. There is these kind of rivalries inside it, and, and Derry actually have no fear of, of playing Tyrone. Um, I know they listen to Tyrone, obviously, if the talent, and you'd think over the course of the 70 minutes or whatever, they, they will outscore them, but anything is possible. But and, they um, must have a fear of playing Tyrone, Brandon. Their record against them in the last five years has just been appallingly bad. But they have pulled out an odd uh, championship uh, one there, which no one expected. Even when Throne were at their best, you know, even down in the Healy Park as All Ireland champions, and and took them. So you know, you you have this thing of, of Derry and Throne. There always is this bit of angst there. But, but you're right. I, I mean, the same with uh, Monaghan. You automatically think they're going to get into the final. But you know, that it's almost like a, the Derby thing that levels things out a small bit. I think what you're, ha- what you're seeing happening with that years ago, it would have been almost a 50-50 in a lot of those games. But because of tactics, because of tactics of teams doing the setup and, and, and just the work that's going on behind the scenes, it's kind of cutting out. Still, people want to cut out the, the mistakes, the chances of players getting in for goals or you know having your formation set up that you're very, very hard to beat. And that's why you're seeing the better teams more often than not uh, coming through because they're so tactically well set up that that on the day kind of scenario doesn't happen as much and that's why people going back to Mayo they are never really set up to get so on, on any given day you're not sure what's going to happen to them but you can be sure it's 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 this stick to the game plan thing which you know for the purist isn't nice it makes the game a wee bit robotic but it means that the more talented players will come out on top you know 99 times out of 100 OK, well, that is probably the easier side of the draw because Monaghan will, or Cavan will play the winners of uh, Down and Armagh. Your Ulster champions are Donegal. Your uh, Connor champions are Mayo Brennan. It's been uh, good chatting to him. We'll get you on back on the podcast very soon. Thanks a million. Sorry, lads. Good luck. OK, time now to have a look at the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship. We'll talk Munster next week with Shane. It's been given a little bit of a boost, I would have thought, over the last couple of years because we've got uh, Galway, Kilkenny and Dublin who have been the the champions over the last five seasons. But hopefully, albeit with Dublin going backwards, clearly in their relegations from the Alliance uh, Hurling League Division 1A, Wexford are a coming force again, or so we would be led to believe with their exploits in 2017 so far. So is this a four-team Leinster Championship for the first time since Wexford and Offaly were real force? Or is it still a two-horse race? It's definitely no more than a three-horse race. Okay. <laughs> I mean, because Dublin, I mean, there's, there was talk of, you know, seven or eight players gone, but it's actually closer to double that. There are an awful lot of players that the general public, outside of, the, you know, the Dublin hurling environment, wouldn't have heard of that have left as well. You know, I just hear the names uh, scattered around now and again, and I keep going, he's gone too. Jeez, it's not him as well, sure. You know, and these are guys who are really strong players in the Dublin Club Hurling Championship. So it's now, st- these players are leaving for 
various reasons. Yep. But the GA fraternity and particularly Dublin hurling folk can probably surmise as to what one of the principal reasons is. There's no need for us to go into it now, but there, there, there has to be a clash of personalities in there somewhere. Yeah, the bottom line is too many players have walked away for us not to say, look, there is a bottom line of Ger Cunningham is there and it hasn't worked out. It just hasn't. Now, the players that are there, and there are a huge amount of very young players there, they're playing quite well. I mean, they've got one of the best backlines in the country. Like, Liam Rush is a brilliant centre-back. Owen O'Donnell looks a fantastic full-back. Chris Crummy is class. Uh, Shane Barrett looks excellent. Keno Callahan, Oshin Goff, Sean Moran. All, uh, and Sean, most people don't even know Sean Moran yet, but he's an excellent player too. It's just that in the forward line, they've lost so many players. Danny Sutcliffe, Colm Cronin, Mark Shuda isn't there at the moment. The ball isn't going to stick up front. They've too many young lads up there. And you see in every single game, 50, 60 minutes goes and the arse falls out of the team and they lose by 10 or 12 points in the last 15 minutes. I mean, that has been happening. Well, it and should be said that a lot of these players, they're sticking around because they do want to play under Jericho. Oh, of course. And I suppose you're a young player and you've, you've never been around a senior inter-county environment before. And, and he's the man who's given you your debut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You in. When you are the main man, that manager is always sound. You know, he's great. And, like, this isn't a personal attack on Ger. I mean, not at all. But, I mean, from the outside looking in, there's so much smoke there has to be fire somewhere. And that's just the reality of it. That Dublin hurling isn't at its strongest. And you need someone who's going to make sure that it is. Get the best players on the field all the time. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean Kieran Kilkenny and, and, you know, all the other fabulous dual players are going to come back over to the hurling side. But those that are of a hurling persuasion, primarily, they need to be out on the field. And... Unfortunately, Dublin aren't going to be challenging for Leinster again until that happens. So Dublin get their Leinster Championship campaign underway against Galway, which won't bring back many memories that they want to hold on to because last year this replay against Galway was it was one of the worst performances I've seen put in by Dublin hurling side, pretty much going back to when they started to emerge as a force again. Absolute. It was pathetically poor. Yeah. And it didn't get much better for them. It hasn't got much better for them in the meantime. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean... It's it is harsh enough that the they had to play the majority of the league without the cooler players, and then it's very hard for them to all of a sudden you've you've won in All Ireland to come in and pick up the the Dublin panel which has been flagging, so that's difficult for Jerry. You'd have to say that 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 is that is hard luck on him, and maybe Clare as well suffered for not having their Ballier players too, but um, you know Dublin won the Leinster title in 2013. There are so few of those players now. You can almost count them on one hand at this stage so unfortunately you have to be looking at Galway winning this game handsomely if they can do that to Tipperary win by 16 points what are they going to do with it and like the big thing here is I've mentioned that the ball isn't going to stick in that forward line for Dublin because they've got a lot of players that are 18, 19, 20, 21 these Galway players are absolute monsters they're conditioned for 5, 6 years they're all huge like look at Grode McInerney he's 6 foot six, five, whatever it is. Well, you're looking at All-Ireland contenders against Dublin and they are far cry from being yeah. All-Ireland contenders. They were genuine contenders in 2013. They still should be, though. But they're nowhere near it. No. No, they're so nowhere near is, now, but they should this, be. On paper, this is a little bit of a mismatch. It's up to Dublin to try and make something of it. That's in a couple of weeks' time. The other one is one of the round-robin teams coming through to play on Wexford. How far are Wexford going to go with this year's Leicester Championship? Well, they, they should go pretty far because... Kilkenny need their full 15 out to be challenging for an All-Ireland and we don't fully know I mean Michael Fenley's fitness is shrouded in mystery apparently he's doing a bit of work but uh, you know we're not sure what that is Jerry Aylward we're still not fully sure what he's going to be like he was exceptional a couple of years ago Porrick Walsh has a bit of a heel issue 
So again, he may be absolutely perfectly fine. These a lot of these Kilkenny players, you hear of all the injuries, and then all of a sudden they're all out there playing man of the match. Uh, but Kilkenny will really fan, or sorry, Wexford will really fancy themselves after winning that league match down in Nolan Park because they were fantastic and should have won by a lot more for a finish. Um, and this this occasion, on the assumption that Wexford do make it to this Leinster semi final, which they will. Mm. They will, of course. The occasion at Wexford Park is just going to be unbelievable on the 10th of June. It's the sun you would imagine will be shining. The place will be absolutely rammed. You, Wexford Park in a championship summer night, if it's a Saturday night, which I think it is, I think this mm. game is on Sky Sports, it's, um, there's probably nowhere better to be. Yeah, I don't know. Were you at the, the time that Wexford dethroned Clare in 2014 down in Wexford Park? I was, yeah. It that was, was a replay, wasn't it? Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it was. News Incredible. And it went to extra time as well. I think Wexford, or sorry, Clare had 13 men at one stage and John Conlon gave one of these incredible performances, scoring 1-5. And the thing that stood out afterwards, like the, the atmosphere is crazy. Mm. Then afterwards, down beside the dressing rooms, you know, we were all waiting to get our interviews and what have you. And the Wexford players were singing The Gambler in the dressing room. It was fantastic. Sean O'Brien, the Leinster rugby player, was part of the backroom team. And it was just one of those wonderful occasions. So this should be likewise. Now, you would have said before this Wexford team could implode at any stage. Think of the championship matches that they lost by 24 points to Limerick a couple of years ago and then to Kilkenny a couple of years ago as well. But that doesn't seem like it's going to happen under Davy Fitz. Like think of the couple of goals that Tip got quick fire in the league final, league semi semi final yeah. of course. They they recovered. They didn't just panic. Now they're going to need everyone fit as well. Like Sean Murphy has a suspected fractured sternum, which is a sort of an injury that we'd hear in in the WWF back in the Vince McMahon commentary days. <laughs> uh, they need to get lots of ball into Lee Chin, and you'd imagine it'll be uh, sorry uh, Connor McDonald. So they'll try and isolate Connor McDonald and Parik Walsh, and that that's mouthwatering stuff. And um, yeah, I think Wexford have every chance of doing it. As we speak, they are in the sunshine in Portugal. Wexford are warm weather training this week. They flew out uh, last night. We're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. They went out last night. The whole Davy Fitz situation with him not being on the sideline, I don't know what the details are in terms of the suspension and how it relates to taking the team and training, but he's definitely in Portugal with them. So he's hardly sunning himself on the beach while these guys are going through two or three sessions a day. He's going to be training for this game. And absolutely right too. I mean, you can't have a manager put all the work in heading into a league semi-final and then not be allowed to take training until after a Leinster semi-final. But he's going to be banned from the sideline. In some ways, do you think that might actually help Wexford's chances? Um, I don't know. Like Once the game kicks off, like you don't think of anything that's happening outside of you and your man or you inside the four lines. And he'll probably be up in the stands and get a great view of it Mm. because I often look at sports like rugby and you see the managers are always up in the stands and you have a great bird's eye view of the whole thing. And, you know, you would have covered games from the the top tier, the Hogan stand looking down on Croke Park. And you have an amazing view of everything and you often see you often see the other team's shape, your own team, how you're being pulled apart or what have you. I actually don't see a massive downside. Just call one of the selectors on the sideline, make this change. I don't think it'll be a big deal at all. So you think you'll see a Wexford in a Leinster hurling final, which would be great. They haven't won it There's a good chance. I tell you, and the reason why is they've got these powerful runners up through the centre. Um, David Dunn is an excellent runner and, and now he'll be a little far yeah, He for- came to the fore last season, but he- people will 
that Kilkenny will be forewarned about what he can do. He's yeah. a, his ability to carry the ball is as good as anybody. And Aidan Nolans, I don't think pe- too many people have paid attention to him just yet. He's an excellent ball carrier. Lee Chin, David Redmond has serious pace as well. So if they can carry the ball through that Kilkenny half-back line, which is a big question mark on their team right now, because they like Jason Clear is centre-back, but it's an awful lot to expect from a, from a pretty young guy in his first season. And they don't have Porrick Walsh in the half-back line, which I'm sure they would rather. So so we're officially riding off the Kenny here, are we? Well, I mean, they're going to interpret it that <laughs> way anyway, so it doesn't really matter if we do or don't. And they will take this edition of the GA podcast and off the ball, and they will use it as ammunition to get they themselves will, through the summer. They will transcribe it and hang it up on the wall and bait the boss of a hurley off it. But, <laughs> Alec, I mean... So, I'm Wexford, s- do you think, up against Galway in a final, and Galway winning the Leinster title, which is something they've only managed to do once since they've actually been brought into the Leinster Championship, mm. gets them into an All-Ireland semi-final and continues the incredible momentum that they've generated through the uh, knockout stages of the league. Yeah, I'd be well, look, irrespective of who's in the final, like Wexford-Kilkenny is a bit of a flip of a coin, but Galway should be winning this title no matter what because they've got uh, like a very, very strong panel. They've got a spine of a team that nobody else really has. Like Colm Callan is a brilliant goalkeeper. You've got Dahi Burke at full-back. Gerard McNerney centre back, Davy Burke midfield, Joe Canning eleven, and let's say Connor Whelan at full forward. I mean, not too many teams have that, and they've got player, great players up and down the flank as well. Cahill Mannion, Jason Flynn, you know, we can name them all day. So with Kilkenny not at their strongest, with Dublin ripped apart more or less, and Wexford in their first year, it has to be Galway. And then once you get to Galway against Tipperary, Waterford, you'd imagine Tip have been seriously troubled by their physicality in the last couple of years. Like very lucky to beat them in the 2016 semi-final just happened to be ahead when the final whistle went certainly weren't the better team lost in 2015 so there's no reason for them to fear tip at all OK well that is our preview of the Leinster Hurling Championship we'll do Munster next weekend I guess some of our listeners in Offaly and Leash they'd probably be a bit pissed off that we haven't spent too much time on them but when it comes to picking a winner of the Leinster Hurling Championship I think everyone can probably agree that neither Offaly nor Leash will be in the shake-up coming up we're going to delve into the Off The Ball GAA podcast cauldron of controversy the cheese dripping off that title a slice of pandemonium from GAA history <laughs> Alright, time for a bit of controversy. Shane, we're going to be picking our top 25 GA controversial moments of all time. We're going to end up somewhere towards the end of September with just an outrageous moment of GA history, but where are we going to start? Yeah, well, you know I'd be a fan of GA history, Dave, like filled with objections, rows, replays, crossbars, smashed jaws, you know, all the boring stuff too, but um, I'm going to cast your mind back to 1923 when, of course, <laughs> the 1922 uh, championship was being finished out the football, uh, which is a bit of a ring of the uh, modern club championship yeah, about it, doesn't it? Yeah, was often the case back in the day. But uh, a lot of that was down to the state of the country at the time, a bit of civil war and what have you, you know. So anyway, Tip were playing in the All-Ireland se- uh, semi-final, so on their way... They beat Limerick 1-7 to a point in the Munster final at Cork. But of course, the times being what they were, they had to travel partly by car, partly by rail over blocked roads and blown up bridges, right? So next up then, they were supposed to meet uh, Sligo in the All-Ireland semi-final, who, uh, who for the first time in their history had won the provincial title after beating Roscommon, Mayo and Galway. So unbelievable achievement for them. So how, I hear you ask, did Galway end up losing an All-Ireland final to Dublin that year, even after <laughs> Sligo beat Tip in the semi-final? 
Well, the Sligo Centenary History Book refers to this flimsy technicality which meant the Connacht Council ordered a replay of the provincial final against the Sulky Tribesmen. So, uh, and Sligo were out three of their main men, so Galway ended up winning the replayed one. So this was uh, after Sligo had beaten Tip in an All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah, yeah, so the back Connacht they go. The final has to be replayed. Yeah, the Connacht final, and then Dublin end up beating Galway in the final, thankfully. So, because the, so Galway went from the Connacht final replay, if you want to call it the replay, to the All-Ireland final. Yeah. They didn't have to go back and play Tip again. No. <laughs> so uh, Sligo still haven't played in an All-Ireland final up to this point, but and but they did go on to at least win Connacht a few years later in 1928. But just a final word on Sligo and technicalities. Uh, a few years in between, 1926, they qualified for the league final where they were ordered to, uh, to replay their semi-final against Leash on the grounds that a player's name had been spelt wrong. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> no look for Sligo in that the replay. That is controversial. Yeah. I, just, I wonder, maybe Sligo's administrators needed to dig their heels in a bit more. It seems, we don't know, but it looks like they rolled over at the time, allowing mm. themselves to be dumped out of the championship on the technicality. It's the tip of the iceberg when it comes to GA history. It is. Well, no one does the uh, technicalities better, particularly in the early part of the 20th century than the GAA. That's uh, pretty much our offering for this week. Shane, well, thanks to you. Uh, you. We'll be back next week. If there's anything you want included in the cauldron of controversy do we really need to call it that for the rest of the uh, summer we kind of started it now we are aware now yeah we'll pull some uh, rabbits out of the hat over the next few weeks we'll get to some very interesting ones but if you have a little bit of an inside knowledge on what's something that took place as regards your county and you think it was controversial enough to make the cut here on the off the ball GA pod we'll just get in touch with myself and Shane or Twitter or you can send an email to sport at newstalk.com we will chat to you next week we're going to have a look at the Munster and Leinster football championships we're going to be taking a look at the Munster Senior Hurling Championship as well and of course we'll actually have some specific games to preview because the Ulster Championship as we've just been mentioning with Brendan in the last few minutes that gets underway with Monaghan meeting for Manor in the preliminary round enjoy your GA this weekend in whatever guise it takes and we'll chat to you in the next week Goal on here, goal chance for Conor McGrath. Bernie, surely give it in, Conor. Oh, what a goal! Mackie heading it towards the 21 metre line. Came back, it's still going. Goal is up for I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. Will stick in your mind at the Champions Show car. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. Been a small change before the game, worked the street. <laughs> been a look, Donovan Connor, man. Wild effort on goal. It's oh, it's oh, 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 oh,